Let's have something to eat, shall we? You must be starving. Come on, I'll go reheat the food. But... Besides, you still need to be getting your rest. It'll be okay. This is still a place of peace. Hello and welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode episode Gundam Seed podcast. And as far as I'm aware, still the only one. My name is Jeremy. I'm a weld. My name is Zach. One of these days, Sailor Business is going to branch out into Gundam, and then we're screwed. <laughs> they have to do Buffy first. That's the one they keep threatening to do right now. So we're watching episode 33 today, The Gathering Darkness. I always switch the titles of this one and the next one in my head. But What's the next one? Seen and Unseen. I really wanted this to be Gathering Darkness. And I no, that's the parody series. <laughs> I don't think there are enough dorks in this series. Nickel's dead. Um, <laughs> Kira. I mean, Kira. Yeah. Who's he going to gather with? Sai? I guess Athrin's kind of a dork. Like, he's a Cuzzy? robot. No, because no, he's just a goof. Yeah. You're not even a goof. Because he's just a jerk no one wants to be friends with. He's not interesting enough to be a nerd, but it, like he's... That's why he's a dork. I just... He's not nerdy is, enough. It's not like he has weird interests, right? Because he'd need interests for that. I believe Cuzzy is watching the football game every Sunday. It's with no one there. <laughs> He's, he, he starts his own fantasy league where he just has all the teams. <laughs> I, I I thought about running the second team in, in, in a league because I only had like five or six people. Or no, it was like five or seven. So I had an odd number. The first time we did Fantasy League of Legends, I ran an off team. Maybe the second time, too, but that's because you had to have an even number of teams. Yeah, it was more of a matter of needing to fill a slot and not having a real person to do it, so wanting to have a bot team that was controlled by the GM. And I did just do whatever the system thought was best. Was it right? Uh, sometimes. Frequently not. <laughs> that's what my mom did uh, a couple of years ago when we had a fan fantasy football league. She ended up winning the whole thing. It was really depressing. Yeah, so I actually worked for a while one of those like fantasy football like picker projects. And it turns out the algorithms you can write for that are generally better than any human actually trying to pick that shit. I feel like a human that was really devoted to it and like treated it like a full-time job would probably be better, but like no one has that kind of time. Go Maybe ESPN same. analysts. I'd go with the same thing, but then look at it and go, you know what? I think this is a bad matchup for this person. And a couple of times I had an instance of uh, getting it right. Like sometimes it's like, hey, this Browns quarterback is going to score a lot of points. I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> Maybe so, if it wasn't on the Browns. <laughs> exactly. You know how you've washed out of the foot National Football League? You're on the Browns. <laughs> if you can't hack it on the Browns as a starter. <laughs> Didn't we just get Brock Osweiler from them? Yes. Well, he moved up a rank. He moved all around. He was here. He went to Houston. It didn't work out for him. They the gave Browns him, somehow got him. I don't know how Houston or why. Houston gave him a massive contract, then realized he wasn't worth the money that but, they paid him. But the Browns paid the, Browns. the contract. That's they, what I don't understand. Is why did the Browns pick this contract up? Because you know who's paying him to be on the Broncos? The Browns. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, do you know what the probably the worst managed NFL franchise is? The Pittsburgh Pirates? <laughs> well, that would be a serious accomplishment since the Pittsburgh Pirates are a baseball team. That was the joke. I know. But it's the Browns. Okay, that we have no transition here, so. You know what's Brown? One of... Kira's pants after that last episode. Ah, oh, man, I forgot her name. How did I forget? Lacus. There we go. What <laughs> of Lacus's horrors? No, I don't think she has a brown one. I think they're all like neon. I think color. they're all pastel. She has a black one. Does she? Yeah, she it's, it's emo. It's going through its uh, dark phase. <laughs> she has to have done a goth concert, right? Where she was dressed up like that? I feel like almost definitely. We don't get to see that dress, unfortunately. But it has to have happened, right? Fan artists, get on it. Send them directly to me. All right, so we'll next have the <laughs> Fish Gundam. Fishnets, please. We'll have the Gundam Dokkan battle game. I'm and sure we will it have exists. We will have Gothic Lolita Lacus. I'm sure it exists. The Gundam Actually, Dokkan Actually, this sounds game. pretty good. <laughs> I, I'm on board with this. Voice of a generation, Gothic Lolita Lacus. <laughs> oh, I'm on please, board with this. Please, fan artists. Send me your energy. That's not how art works. <laughs> People of Earth. <laughs> so 
So if for some reason this is the first episode you're watching, we're still in this lengthy transition between Kira definitely dying and Kira being fine. And let me, let, let me, if this is the first episode you're watching, number one, this is actually, stop watching this episode and go back to episode one. This is maybe not a bad spot to pick up if you didn't want to watch the rest of the series for some reason. It's not the worst. It does have footage from the first episode. No, it doesn't. It has footage from the second episode. It has literally all the shots that Tall was ever in in this episode. Uh, so Gundam Seed is about Kira Yamato, a coordinator. They're like Captain America's, genetically engineered to be awesome. He was part of a neutral nation called Heliopolis. Most of the coordinators are part of the plants, which are at war with the Earth, because the Earth thinks it's lame to be genetically engineered on. He literally fell into the cockpit of a giant robot and had to fight his best friend, other coordinator, Athern, he until was... they killed each other, but both were fine. He was dragged. <laughs> Tall died and Nickel died. They were Kira and Athern's best friends slash romantic interests. They were less fine. <laughs> Te- technically speaking, Maru kicked him in. Like, she shoved him into the cockpit. That's yep. true. But he did fall. I guess that is technically true, yes. Maru Ramius got uh, promoted because everyone above her died to captain of the cool spaceship that the Archangel that the Gundam was stored on. Te- Nataral Bajaral, her second in command, has a deep-seated loathing for her because she lets personal feelings get in the way of command decisions. Moo, who technically has seniority on Maru, but uh, man, he didn't yeah. want that. Why doesn't Moo get blamed for all this is what <laughs> I want to know. I mean, I know why, but he sh- had seniority. Technically, he has allowed all this to happen. Okay, it's, it's a weird situation because I... In any other situation, I think it'd be basically not my department. Like he's but it's a not fighter her department pilot. either. I know she's a mechanic. <laughs> yeah, she, shouldn't Nataral be being blamed for this? Shouldn't she technically be in charge, given that she's the only one who's actually part of Navy? I feel like Moo could maybe have done it. Like he actually has combat experience. Yes, but he's technically also a fighter pilot. I don't know how that whole system. He's works. also a commander, so I don't either. Uh, militaries are weird in the space future. <laughs> anyway, Mulaflaga, he's the best. He's, he's he cool, is categorically the best. Because uh, he is the worst. Categorically. Also true. And also, they captured Diarca, the most sarcastic. <laughs> uh, he <laughs> pissed off Mirielia. She was Tal's girlfriend, who is a little unhinged now. I love one of the lines later in this episode. Where <laughs> it's great. How was I supposed to know I hit the nail on the head? <laughs> well, you can also just try not being a dick, Diarca. Like, just generally not do that. <laughs> and I think that's everything you need to know. Or you can take Zach's advice and just watch the series, or at least listen to all our old episodes. Some of them are good. Yeah, that'll that'll work too. But we're almost through this long transition period, and I think this is kind of the weakest episode in that transition. It's losing a little bit of the steam it really had, like, from Kira and Atherin trying to kill each other. We are setting stuff up, but we're being a little obvious about it, I think. We're too far on the backside of the denouement of the uh, destruction of both the strike and the Aegis. And next episode is basically entirely devoted to building the tension back up, so I just think it comes a little late. Yeah, like, I feel like, really, this episode could have been that. That said, we have some real good Nataral moments in this episode, which uh, we've needed. Ah, uh, ah, uh, that sick, passive-aggressive burn. That's all she does. I know. <laughs> Although Kira's trial earlier on in the series is pretty great. When Moo is trying to be his defense attorney. That's more great Moo moments, though, than great Nataral moments. Well, it's also a good reflection on her as a character, but yeah. we don't get very many other ones throughout well, there. My favorite Nataral scene so far is her giving the candy to the kids in the desert, and this is a different side of Nataral, but it's a good side of her. Oh, her not being, not her being unable to hold her liquor? Yes, that's, that's also, also pretty also good, good scene. <laughs> but this is just a really good episode for her, and I want to, because I talk about the dub sometimes, I don't really like Nataral's voice actor, but she really knocks it out of the park this episode, which is weird, because Flay's just taking a nap. There's one line delivery she has where I should, she goes, why you do that? I'm like, <laughs> don't have a second take in your rarity? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a directal problem and not a her problem, but I always forget that it's the same voice actress. I would, yeah, I was going to a- ask about that. It's the same actress who does rarity. <laughs> Kira, Kira is Ed from Ed, Ed and Eddie. And also the Japanese voice is the person who dubbed Ed and Ed, Ed and Eddie. It's a weird coincidence. <laughs> Which Ed? Uh, Ed. Dumb Ed. Okay. Moo and Maru are Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask in the Japanese version, not in the English version. Huh. Which is also- why he is the Hawk of Endymion. Yep. We've gone over all this before, but I need to pat out this early bit because I'm going to cut most of it. <laughs> Yay! So if you want to watch along with us, you can either on YouTube, Crunchyroll, or Hulu if you pay for that for some reason. 
It's episode 31, The Gathering Darkness, on both Crunchyroll and YouTube. Also, you can just get YouTube. Everyone has it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Very true. And it's also free on Crunchyroll, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, I think I it's agree. free on Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll keeps asking me to sign up for stuff, and I have literally never found anything where I actually need a subscription to watch. Digimon Try. That's the only thing uh, I've noticed. And it's a lot of the simulcasting stuff you need to... You yeah, I can see that. Most of it's like one week delay, though. Like Dragon Ball Super, you're a week ahead if you sign up. One Piece, you're a week ahead if you sign up. And like, you get higher resolutions if you sign up. And no ads. No ads is the big thing that yeah, makes so it worth I never it to get me. ads, and I actually specifically turned off my ad blocker on their site, so I don't That's know. That's weird, because I get ads all the time because it logs me out, and I'm like, God damn it, Crunchyroll. <laughs> anyway, anyway, random streaming services aside. Episode 31, The Gathering Darkness. So we begin on a previously on that is mostly... Athranks. Yeah, Athranks. Thank you. I was going to say Athran Angsting, but Athranx. clearly I could not put the He's two words together. He's being talked at by Raul Lucruse, trying to be Moo. <laughs> trying to be Dick Moo. We also get some Lacus comforting Kira because they're in a Hurt Comfort fanfic that has been animated. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite jokes from Loathing is uh, the purple brain for soldiers who are smart enough to run away from the war. <laughs> Speaking of the uh, purple nebula or whatever award he's going to get. We also get Psy being mad at Flay because she's kind of a two-faced bitch. I don't like to use that word, especially for Flay, but she's really putting stress on him. And then we get Mirielia going full Yandere against Diarca. Full psycho, crazy, stabby. It's great. You know, I feel like she might have been able to score hit if she wasn't trying specifically for two-handed she overhead hit strikes. She hit him. Did she? He's bleeding. I think I've always interpreted it as that's when he hits the ground when he rolls off. She might have nicked his head. Entirely possible. Just the way it is, I always assumed it was uh, she okay. nicked him on the way by. That could be, too. But anyway, yeah, the last episode ended on the super tense moment of Flay trying to shoot the Erica and Mirielia saving him. And us all wondering once again, why is there not a guard there? I like that they specifically lampshade that. Oh, so. I think I figured it out. So I think the Erica was like, yeah, and Zaft, we have these things called 15-minute breaks. Me and uh, <laughs> me and Isaac would always be on them while Nicole and Atherin were fighting uh, against you guys. I'm like, oh man, that sounds sweet. Let's try it. It's like, yeah, you should go together, like me and Isaac always did. <laughs> and like, yeah, we're on a 15 minute smoke break. We're on a starship. That's against the rules. So then we get the yes. opening scene, which is still good, including all the people. I have no idea who they are, but they're in the opening credits. And uh, they're way too early. Yeah, I agree with that. I just the, the this guy, opening see this opening set is like ten episodes too early, and it started like ten episodes ago. I just I can see it starting next episode, which would not quite be ten, and then you're this is sort of foreshadowing stuff and getting you excited. Yeah, but for what's where, happening that episode, but it comes way too early. Where, it comes before Nickel dies. That's so, that's way too freaking early. So really quick, Pilot of the Forbidden is a douchey edgelord? Yes. Okay, yeah, see, that's... You just described all three of them. God <laughs> Well, they're the druggies. They don't have a choice to be edgy. We'll get to them soon. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I don't like them very much. So this episode picks up where the last one left off, with Diarca kind of stunned, Mirielia crying over Flay's breasts. And Flay <laughs> just kind of staring up into space. Sai trying to be the responsible one, but being at the end of his limit. But he does grab the gun to make sure no one else does. It's a really, like, man, good presence of mind there. Uh, well, that's a, that's a really good first first option. Of get These people are both clearly unhinged, so I'm going to... Uh, prevent them from prevent doing anything anybody dangerous. From, well, yeah, because clearly they're both emotionally upset and distraught. So who's to say that they won't? one of them won't try and use it on either one of the other one, or each other, or Diarca again, and get in even more trouble? Or hell, even him! Yeah, Sai's the only one with responsibility. Sai has to be the dad, and poor Sai. If uh, only Mu was around to be cool dad. No, no, he's like cool. Yeah, he's the cool dad. Sai has to be the real dad. So <laughs> we, after Sai picks it up, we get Flay and uh, Mirialia yelling at each other about how not to. Or actually, Mir's just crying, whereas Flay was screaming about how he she was trying to kill him. Yeah, she's like, why would you stop me? That's what you were trying to do. And I really like this scene because we see Mirielia kind of coming to her senses and realizing how she's been acting as she realizes that she doesn't want to kill Diarca, well, or at least in this moment. Or at least not for the same reasons we, Flay did. We actually passed over it because while they're having this confrontation, it actually jumps to Diarca, who has kind of this realization of, oh, I've... He this looks... Is, these are people. <laughs> this this kind of sucks. These are shit this it's, is worse than i thought it was it's kind of this dual revelation that he's having at the same time as Mirielia because flay was sprouting all that you know basically racist 
this racist allegory rhetoric and about wanting to kill all coordinators, how they all deserve to die. Maybe not Kira at this point, but... Don't you hate the one, because they're the ones that killed Tall, you know? Yeah, well, so I interpreted this as Millie saying, coming to realization that maybe she doesn't not want to kill Diarca, but more that uh, she doesn't want to kill him for the same reason that Flay does, because she gets really upset when Flay tries to compare them. Yeah, right there. And yeah, Flay's just trying to justify herself, basically, being like, we're the same, you know, we have the same hatred. And Marielia, almost in denial, is like, no, we're not. But it's more her kind of coming to realization. And Diarca it looks like he's walked in on his parents having sex. That, yeah, he looks his way more surprised. Is just great there because it's this weird combination of horror and surprise. And I think I've I'm in the wrong place. Hang on, let me. Uh, let well, me try so that I'm again. wondering why he looks that way because I didn't really get. Have that. you ever been around people, two people yelling and screaming at each other and crying at one another? Yeah, it's a very awkward situation. <laughs> and like Zach said, I think he's coming to the realization that. The other force are people. Uh, and then uh, the two guards get back from their 15. See? This supports my theory. They're back now. They're like, hey, what's going on here? What What does it look the, like? Sai helpfully hands him a gun to lead Diarca around with. <laughs> they say it was a mistake to... Or, uh, Natarl being uh, Natarl... Yeah, we cut directly from that to Natarl uh, dressing down Captain Ramius about the situation. Now, hey, he was unguarded. There was a gun just hanging out. Why was that in the med bay? <laughs> uh, well, I could understand it being a sidearm for the person who's supposed like, to be staffing the like med bay. in case they get boarded? Yeah, but the bigger question is, why wasn't there a guard there? And I don't necessarily think that's entirely Maru's fault. No, it was Diarca's. He convinced her to take a 15-minute break. We just went over this. Or even then, they're understaffed, and like they're on these awkward orders of just like, hey, hang out. That's also and, not really the captain's job. And that's morale actually, is at an all-time low. That's actually the XO's job to take care of that. So that's Natarl's job, hey. as I understand it. But Maru is just taking all the criticism, which is... Because that's kind of who she is. Yeah. She's it's in, also she, their relationship, specifically. Well, she's, when she sees herself in charge, she accepts all the blame. Not really the credit, because she tries to foist that off on Mu and Kira whenever she can, but any time something goes wrong, it's, it's her fault. Uh, so she has a god complex. I identify with that. Yeah, kind of. It's not even that so much as she's just is well maybe that is a good way to put it. Uh, we're going to see a real good uh, show of that in a couple episodes actually. But Natarl just keeps going until Maria's like, "Yes, put it on your report. Tell them. Remember how we got summoned to report all this tomorrow?" And we get some shots of the kids just looking despaired. And Natarl tries to play off like, "Hey, I'm not trying to criticize you personally. I just believe highly in command structure, and I think we would have done better if we had discipline and structure." And followed all the military playbook, because that's my character. I am reducing her a little bit, but analyzing them is part of our job here. Well, they're foils again. Maru is very, from the heart, emotional leadership. And actually, in a way, that's kind of what the ship needed. And Natarl, like, Maru is mom, Natarl is dad, is, is basically <laughs> the best way to put it. Yeah. Because Maru is the, you know, caring, emotional person, like I said. And Natarl is regulations and rules and that's not really a problem that's just how they operate and moo is mom's layabout brother who's no. living on the sofa for yeah. a while <laughs> moo is cool uncle <laughs> yes to your point about maru being what they needed like it's not like if they'd followed all of natarl's like directives they would have done better it's yeah, not specifically... like kira got blown up because of a lack of discipline tall's death is sort of a result of that but she did order him not to take off and he yeah. ignored the orders Although that's lack of discipline. Well, so. yeah, that's also partly on the um, ground crew that let him loose. Yeah. And, you know, Murdoch's got other things going on. We so. never actually see what happened when he got to the hangar, but they were in a combat situation. So I could entirely believe him, uh, Maru not thinking to give orders to Murdoch to not let him loose. I just like if we ever do an abridged version of this, I really want to just splice together some scenes and like have him steal some keys and just go, yoink! <laughs> <laughs> This can't possibly end poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I was awesome last episode. I got to be a spotter. I got to shoot missiles. <laughs> so, like, well, I was just thinking that it's probably what the, the ship needed because at the time they were operating from a situation where they had lost. They basically had their asses efficiently handed to them. They lost everything. Yeah, there was a point where, like, they had no military structure to fall back on. They needed to think outside of the box. Like, Natarl wanted to refuse repairs at Orb, which they probably would not have survived that first encounter with the, I want to say the Jewel team, but that's, you said No, it was name. the, um, 
the uh, was, Zola team. Yeah, Athrun. Yeah, I, uh, they probably would not have survived that first encounter with the Zola team if they had not resupplied and been repaired. All right, Maru is just like takes all the criticism and even tells uh, Natara, like, I think you're going to make a great, uh, I know I'm not suited for this position, but I think you're going to make a great captain someday. And that just kind of pisses Natara off more. She's like, that's exactly why I say you're so soft. Which makes me kind of wonder if Natarl's doing all this and egging her on, just trying to get a reaction. I mean, she's not entirely wrong, but the difference is there are team the two of them work really well together because they are diametric opposites. They bring the same thing of discipline and you know the carrot and the stick, basically. So, and I actually feel like if Natarl was in charge, we'd not listen to Maru at all. So it's probably better that Maru's in charge, so at least we get a balance. Hey, there is a cell block on this ship. Yeah, we kept the the Yarka in the cell block. We saw him go there the first time they brought him on, but then they moved him to the med bay because he was injured. Yeah, and then we and then they just left him there too long. We go back to uh, him musing on Miri, Miri's yeah. attack specifically. We get some aftermath. clips, but these really come off as Yarka kicking himself like teenagers do when they make a mistake. Where he's like, "How was I supposed to know I was right about her dumb natural boyfriend yep. getting killed?" Which is what Maybe I was referring to earlier. It's like not say that at all. <laughs> like that was kind of a dick thing to say, even if it wasn't true. <laughs> so. And then we get a cut to Mary Elia curled up in bed. That kind of implies she's thinking of the same thing, which I like. Yeah, I I always just kind of think of that as the situation of he's trying to portray false confidence, basically. Yeah, bravado. Yeah. So we then cut to the military report of the Archangel, their debriefing on their mission, led by Captain William Sutherland. And I don't really know how to judge his Japanese voice actor, but the one they gave him in English is basically just twirling a mustache he has <laughs> the entire time. They play him with no subtlety. And I don't know if that's accurate to the Japanese version well, or not. To be fair, his expression... And the way they have him looking, he looks like he should have a mustache to be twirling. That is true. He doesn't, but he looks like he should have snidely whiplash, his mustache as he's sitting there twirling and debate in measuring Maru for the rope to put her on the on the train tracks. So the Japanese voice actor mostly sounds just like mildly pompous more than anything. De- definitely self-assured, but not like, you know, mustache truly melodrama villain. So they all sit down to get, play a game of Artemis together. <laughs> it's basically the crew that was on the Archangel before the kids joined up. So you get the helmsman. You got the comm officer because he's always sitting opposite. Of course, Moon, Natarl, and Maru. Oh, is uh, that who that guy I is? Don't... There's some random guy sitting next to Murdoch, and I didn't recognize you him You don't at all. have... Uh, wait, where is Murdoch in there? He's on the back left. The, that Stage from... back left. Yeah, stage <laughs> um, left. He informs them that they're going to be holding this in a coordination with court martial rules, which helps kind of state the tone, which helps kind of set the tone. Well, I was going to say, I think that's how they normally do that, but I think they only do that if they, if you happen to lose a ship. But then again, it depends on how they're putting the loss of the 8th fleet on there. Yeah. And they're like, okay, let's review some clips. We'll start with the testimony from, from then-Lieutenant Maru Ramius. And then we cut the birds, because we're in idyllic Lacus land. Lacus land. Where she's pushing a tea cart. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, doesn't she have, like, a house staff or something? I feel like she probably should. Well, I think this just indicates how much personal care she's taking of Kira, that she's like, bring it to him herself. When I assume that you're right, she probably does have a half staff. Although we've never actually... We've only seen her robot. We've seen her butler. Yeah, I was about to say we've not seen one, but one dude on a sailboat. Yeah, like the one guy out of the water. How do you sail on board an artificial... Like you can do it on a man-made lake, so... No, but the thing is, it's an entirely artificial environment. Yeah, there's probably temperature differentials creating, like, air pressure nonsense. I thought the only wind you got was stuff for uh, well, dramatic character stuff. Like, Kira's hair blowing here yeah. as she has left bed to stare at the sailboat. Dramatic so, brooding. So, Kira pulls out his entire clip archive of every time he's ever interacted with Toll on the show. Which is nice. Again, it's a clip episode saving some money, but also it does do a nice job of establishing his headspace. He's done brooding about trying to kill Athern, and is brooding about Tall being dead. And, I mean, it, it also does really kind of show how good a friend Tall was to Kira, even throughout this, the short time we saw him on the episodes. Because, like, we start with the first couple of instances where he is, uh, you know, standing up for Kira, messing with him before they act, the shit officially hits the fan. So Lacus walks up, tea, light, leaving the tea behind, and Kira's trying to hide the fact that he's been crying. Well, that cart wouldn't go down the stairs. Fair. And I actually... Really like Black is going, Kira, you always seem to have such sad dreams. I don't know why, but that's like a quote that's just always stuck with me. I mean, obviously, he's in a bad place right now, but I there's something about the phrasing that I always really liked. 
Although his response of I am sad is a little bit it's gonna rain. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, some clips. These have something to do with something. No, we don't. No, no this is uh, Kira remembering all the people he's killed. I actually, during this, I tried to look up his body count. That's 22 or something. I've seen a clip on YouTube of everyone Kira killed. It's pretty high up to this point. Yeah, I mean, he's done a pretty good job. And At then least... we get that that shot again. Yeah, here's the part where I kind of defended the change to Nichols' death earlier. But this is the part where it really doesn't work. Because Kira being sad about it and it being a major sort of motivator for him going forward doesn't work nearly as well when it seems kind of like an accident instead of a decision. I can actually see it as a, like, I would regret it. But it probably wouldn't be one of the one major things that, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about when I end up in a situation like that or a person usually would think about because you didn't do anything like you tried to get out of the way. They ended up doing it to themselves. I mean, that was a major death for him, though, because it was what pissed off Atherin. Yeah, but, it pissed off Atherin enough to, for him to go super yeah, sad. But, <laughs> but it being a choice and having Atherin killing Tall mirror that is, I think, very important. Because they don't do anything to make Tall's death seem like an accident, even though they do edit that a little bit. It's just to they make, make it, it more, more violent. Brutal. Yeah, I mean, they don't do anything to try and make Tall's death look any different in terms of decision making by Atherin. I mean, you could argue that, yeah, Atherin did it because he was so mad about Nichols' death. It's really more he did Kira it out of not, reflex. So. Well, I mean, they both did it out of reflex. It was a decision, a conscious decision reflex in order to deal with the threat incoming that has been honed throughout the rest of the series. So changing it so that Kira's reflexes is now not the same thing loses that mirroring that they had in the original version. To be fair to this episode specifically, if you had not seen Nichols' death in the remaster and you just watched this, it doesn't look like an accident here. They've cut it pretty close to the original. I would also like to point out this is one of my favorite lackest faces right here. <laughs> she just looks so worried about him. She's trying to help. Before she was like kind of playing not devil's advocate exactly, but she goes into a very positive of like, yes, but it's not like you were fighting because you were trying to kill people. Yeah. I'm sure you protected people too. Then she like awkwardly palms his ear a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> She's very touchy-feely with her uh, fiance's best friend. <laughs> and she grabs him and is like, come on, you need some food. I'm dragging you by your arm. Plus, you have to get bed rest. I think the doctor said so. Did we hire a doctor? I don't know. And then the Haro is like, no, I guess it's a chastity guard. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, well, Atherin built him, so. Oh, uh, yeah, no, that does make sense. So she's like, hey, it's still peaceful here. Foreshadowing. Before we get the act break. Shap Harone. <laughs> almost, almost. Almost. I think you could make it work in text. Hello, listeners. Sorry, not much of a mid-spot this time, and also I'm using my laptop mic, uh, because this episode has been delayed in production for approximately forever. So, I'm going to try to get it out of the door-cutting-room floor. Also some jam, I guess. Um, as soon as possible. And these require a surprising amount of effort to make at all amusing and or listenable even though they're only like two minutes. It's weird. Jeremy and I both have this problem. Don't question it. One special shout out to our community this week. Marcus commented on the last episode and then popped into our Discord, so hey man, thanks for being cool. Finger guns. Think that's about it. I'm going to let you get back to that sweet drama action. And it's kind of a slow episode, but we swear it picks up soon. Go microwave some foreshadowing popcorn. So then we cut to an establishing shot of Alaska, and then we get a farmer's market, and we see a mysterious man in blonde wearing sunglasses. Who could that be? It certainly doesn't look like Raul LaCruce totally quattro bagina-ing it up. <laughs> do, they, do they have farmer's markets in Alaska? Yes, Zach. <laughs> they farm in Alaska. When it's that cold? Yeah. People huh. have greenhouses. Well, we also get a random shot of Patrick Zala before cutting back to the military tribune where they're like, so you already suspected at that time that Kira Yamato was a coordinator, correct? He's like, yes, sir. And then we cut to the best techno babble of all time once more, because <laughs> if you're going to have a clip, make it this one. <laughs> if you're going to use techno babble, use the, use the techno babble that no one can make any sense of. Renew meta, active field, reactivate feed forward, convey function, adjust Cordis system. Coriolis system. 
Initiate bootstrap. But Maru's like, yeah, even though he was just like a normal or just a college student, he was totally able to reprogram the OS of a top secret military unit. And I, for some reason, they used the word youngster, which I wonder if it's a weird translation. But every translation I've seen of this particular (laughs) scene, she calls him a youngster, which just seems weird to me. But every single time. Well, clearly one of Kira's classes is computer wizard, and he took uh, the Metamagic Maximized OS Ball. (laughs) (laughs) So I really like the sort of response here where the captain asked her, so what was your impression of Kira at the time? And she's like, well, it was miraculous. And he really goes into her for this, like, assessment the entire time. Which is just a real minor thing of, like, Maru just kind of being honest that gets used against her. And I really just like this point. As, like, the one bit of dramatic tension that in well, the episode. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, all I could do is stare in amazement. Well, yeah, because he's reprogramming probably at least months of work that people had already gone into, and he's doing it in 30 seconds. And then also piloting the thing, which no one could do yet. While under fire. <laughs> While under fire. With this weird woman in the cockpit <laughs> flailing about. And he even gets this, like, you've activated my trap card grin <laughs> after she says it. Moo gives, gets a very, I don't like you look on his face. Yeah, because he saw the trap card, and he's like, oh, I don't have a trap card of my own played yet, but just wait two turns. I haven't gotten my seven tools of the bandit. Shard of greed. Anyway. Solemn judgment. OP. Anyway, we continue with the clip episode, with the commander just started telling us what happened. Maru restrained all the kids. Then Moo and Rao showed up in the colony. Kira got into the strike and fired the big-ass gun. Oops. <laughs> And she, he blames Maru for failing to take control of the situation. Moo tries to defend her, but gets kind of cut down. He's basically like, I'm only saying the facts. You failed to take control of the situation. <laughs> it's real easy for an armchair guy to be say, to be critical of people who are actually under fire. And then they accidentally let Kira fire a giant hole in orb. And also, Rao saw it, which caused him to counterattack. Which we know is true, because we've seen both perspectives of this. Although, Rao is the kind of guy who probably would have come up with an excuse anyway. I mean, even if he ha- if Kira had chased him off with the machine gun, he would have just said, we get- we can't let him keep it. And Amu again tries to defend him and be like, hey, you're just making conjecture. Didn't you just sit- tell me to refrain from personal opinions? But he's like, yeah, but in your professional opinion, if you saw a giant-ass cannon fired, <laughs> wouldn't you want to take care of it? And Amu's like, well, I guess not. And Maru's like, so should we have not fought back? He's like, no, I wouldn't say that, go that far. But it's bad luck that Kira Yamato was a coordinator and not a perfectly fine natural child with baby blue eyes <laughs> and strapping blonde hair who could take the dirt. I mean, <laughs> I actually really like this because after he says, you know, if, it, if only he wasn't a coordinator and Moo starts to get up again, but Maru shoots to her feet and starts defending Kira. Yeah, like, I, mean, I, I love the fact that she preempts uh, good Uncle Moo mm-hmm. by jumping up to defend the person who basically made it so that they got to where they were going. But it's like becoming increasingly obvious this guy is a spacist. Uh, he's got a vendetta. It's pretty clear. He's he's got an agenda. He knows exactly how he wants this to go, and he yeah. doesn't give a shit for the actual <laughs> <Which is fact. laughs> for actual events and the, and the things that led to them. He just cares about you know the literal facts that he can cherry pick and choose to use against her. Well, he even in the last episode said, it's real f- lucky for us that Kira Yamato died last episode. Yep. And then he actually says that basically again at the end of this speech. It's like, it sure is convenient that he's dead. And he actually kind of says the opposite, but... And N- Natarl actually kind of looks ashamed after... Yeah, well, like, Natarl understands that. what's happening, and she, like, is not spacist. She's she a good soldier. Yeah, she considers Kira Yamato, like, an asset, and she's not happy he's dead. She just knew that the Archangel was screwed if they didn't get out of there. But the captain goes on to be like, hey, if uh, the miraculous coordinator wasn't on the strike, things might have gone differently. Yeah, they would have stolen all five of them. Oh, they might have destroyed the strike. They would have ended up with at least more resources than they did. But anyway, he continues with his spacist tirade where Maru's like, so this is all my fault. It's like, we're fighting against the coordinators. You should have realized that immediately, that he was a coordinator. And also that they're bad, okay? Why did you fail to realize this fact? And like the entire crew are, like, getting upset. Well, yeah, because they fought alongside him. They knew exactly what he was about. And he just died, as as far as they're concerned. And, like, he was literally the only thing saving their asses half the time, and also now he's dead. And he had... They also know that he had the opportunity to leave at any time, and he didn't. He he stuck with them and stood with them through 
thick and thin and protected them to get them where they are. But then, and as far as they know, he died doing it. So now the captain goes through all the mistakes the Archangel made early on, like how uh, Artemis got destroyed while they were there, and then the advance forces that went to help them got taken out, and then the entire 8th fleet died. And Maru's like, we were just following Admiral Hadwick's orders, but then he's like, so when did he become super god of the Earth forces? I don't remember electing him president. <laughs> and <laughs> to which I respond, like, well, he was admiral, like. <laughs> and then we get him, get some political double talk. I didn't say it was all your fault, even though that's what I was just saying the last five minutes. In fact, it's a fucking miracle that you made it this far, but you didn't bring the strike, so who cares? Strike or DTFO? Uh, he does make up a kind of decent point of think about how the families of everyone who died getting you here, and you didn't succeed in getting your one coal mobile suit. Apparently glossing over the fact that they brought the the experimental battleship and the buster with them. That is true. They do have that sweet buster. Which is actually one of the sweet mobile suits, so... Maybe they forgot to put that in the report. So now we cut to Cuzzy and Sai, and Cuzzy's being the worst. Because Sai's like, hey, could you take Flay her food? It would be kind of awkward if I did it after that super awkward conversation I had. And then that time she pointed a gun at someone in a room with me. And Cassie's like, you do it, man. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that they the do, at, in the previous episode, they actually did say, we've got a prisoner and a mobile and this other mobile suit on board. What do you want us to do with it? And they just kind of said, fuck off. <laughs> I don't remember the mobile suit part, but I, I, I will take said at least a pilot. I, they definitely maybe, said a prisoner. Maybe I was mixing it up because I know Murdoch's team was saying, well, should we just fix this one? So they're bo- we're bored. We're going to try to fix that cool gun mobile suit. So Sai's like, forget it. And Cuzzy's like, no, I'll be passive aggressive and kind of help, but you should actually hand it to her. And he's like, God, Cuzzy, you do not. <laughs> why? Why do you? Why are you so bad? Yeah, then I'm like, I'm kind of surprised he doesn't tell Cuzzy to just go away <laughs> instead of walking. He tried it. to. So Sai is like explaining it to Cuzzy, like uh, what happened. And actually, here's the part that Cuzzy is kind of a decent person where he's like, oh, yeah, I heard he has a name. It's Diarca. And this is like the one decent thing Cuzzy does where he clearly is one of the first people to treat Diarca kind of like a person. Instead of just... He's too bland to have any particular hatred, so... <laughs> yeah, he treats him like a person, not just a thing, you know, the the enemy combatant. Because he, continuing to be the worst, is like, hey, we can just leave now, right? Now that we're at base, and Sai is like, why are you asking me? Oh my god. No, we so can't, but I don't want to tell you that. They get to Mirialia's room, and she's gone. And we then see her, like, hyperventilating in the brig. As she, like, is kind of hiding, wanting to confront Diarca. And thinking about that time, she almost stabbed him. Like, what was she planning on doing here, I wonder? I'm not, I'm not sure she knows. Because, like, she sees him, like, awake, and, like, her instinct is to run, but Diarca kind of stops her and tells her, hey, wait. And then I don't think he knows what he's going to say either. Yeah, I, I think both of them in, know that they were in a bad situation, and um, they weren't real sure what to do. And Derek is like, uh, so where was your boyfriend when, um, you know? She's like, eh, he was in the Sky Grasper. And Derek is like, yeah, Not I me. don't know what that is. <laughs> well, I think he, he knows what it is. No, he, he asked Sky Grasper. She's like, it was a fighter plane. And then he kind of lays down relieved and is like, hey, yeah, that wasn't me. Well, that, I, I killed all those other people, but I'm glad I didn't kill that one. <laughs> to be fair, well, who did he kill? Maybe some people on the Archangel when he was firing at it. We did see some explosions and some guys die. The thing is, going back to the bravado thing in the beginning, where he was, you know, we, we mentioned the fact that his expression made it kind of look like, oh, shit, these are actually people. I don't even necessarily think he thought too much about it, like anybody that he did kill. Well, it's too busy being the blue one to Isaac, so. Well, it's just one of those situations of, you know, you're at war, They you see it all the time in earlier war. Propaganda makes the other side, it goes out of their way to make the other side less than human. Like, I think this might be the first time he's actually starting to realize the consequences of the actions. And we saw him brooding, so I think it was weighing on his conscience, and this is kind of a relief for him. Yeah, that, no, it, that it wasn't me. Yeah. I didn't do it. And then Millie just kind of, like, stares at him. Well, I mean, what do you say to that? Well, so- I think I got a new boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so then the court-martial ends. Uh, presumably there was lots more lambasting of Maru. They probably asked Natarla a question. And she's like, oh, go back to the Archangel and hang out. Oh, except for Moo, Natarl, and Flay, you're all getting transferred. Yeah, Flay seemed like a really odd one out until you and find they're, out. They're all fairly confused, but Moo is like, what do we have? What, what happens to us? And it's pretty clear Moo has an idea of what they're doing and does not like it. And actually, it's kind of weird. Natarl is the one who's like, hey, wait, why Flay? Which is a very un thing to do, kind of questioning orders. 
but I do kind of like it here. And she's like, oh, you were there when she goes all speechifying, right? That seems way more useful than having her in a bed, just like jumping for cover every time there's a fight. Yeah, also, she hates coordinators like I do. That seems useful. And it's not like she's done any actual work. Which I actually do like as giving Flay a job. Although, clearly, like her point of view right now is probably shifted, and maybe she's not the best person for this job right after Kira's death, but he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that she was weirdly romantically linked with him. So we then cut to Atherin, arm in a sling, grabbing his suitcase, presumably packing up, getting ready to head out. He walks by uh, Izak, but they don't say anything to each other yet. Atherin looks especially emo here. Izak looks especially broody. Almost smoldering, you might say. <laughs> well, he's the last member of the team still on the planet, as far as he knows. Yeah. And then we cut back to that sailboat. That what the one fuck is boat. that guy doing? I just... <laughs> Pleasure guiding. I'm boating! Now Kira is on the balcony, which is a sweet balcony because Lacus has a sweet house. <laughs> and he's looking determined, not mopey. Well, he's looking different. And Lacus is like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we could stay like this forever? And then she leaves that Haney, and then she's like, well, too bad it can't. Because my horrors are going to swarm the city soon. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like this scene. I mean, Kira and Lacus hasn't gotten much time together, but like it, they're sort of romance isn't the right word for it. But their growing connection is real obvious. You can see where it's going with minimal stuff. And I find it actually really sweet. Like It's probably the best romance in any Gundam series, which is a little sad. But <laughs> uh, uh, do I agree with that statement? I'm going to have to go with I don't think so. Do you have one in mind? Rain! That's it. <laughs> oh, Dumb and Rain's pretty good. You're right. The thing is, they're kind of a couple at the start. Not exactly, but... Kinda? Not not quite, but like the seeds are obviously there, but they haven't actually really gone anywhere I'm in love with yet. the memory of my d dead brother. <laughs> Rain and Domon is pretty good. You're right. Domon is in love with punching people, and Rain is in love with Domon. It's a tr love triangle, because punching people is in love with Rain, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they their relationship does end with them love Kamehameha-ing the devil Gundam to death. <laughs> Which is pretty so. sweet. Yeah, I think just because of that, I'm going to have to go with, yeah, that one wins. <laughs> I guess I'll have to take second place for Kira and Lacus. <laughs> if it was not obvious, I ship them pretty hard. <laughs> but, no, But so really. does the series, so... Yeah, and like even the Haro trying to get between them, I find like really effective as just a point. Like clearly, Lacus is really into him. He's so mopey; it's hard to tell where his head is yet. He probably hasn't even considered it, frankly. <laughs> Could be. He's like, yeah, she's just petting my hair because she's being all nursey and kind. I think he's also too much of a good guy because she oh, mentioned beforehand yeah, that she's Atherin engaged to Atherin. Yeah, my be you're my best friend's fiance, so yeah, so no he's touching. Yeah, no no touchy. Well, I mean, clearly he just wants in on that threesome after they're married, so. <laughs> yeah, but, like, he's not going to make any moves to try and take her yeah, away. He, he's too beta to bring it up. Yeah. Which is another reason why his relationship with Lacus works, because. <laughs> Kira and Lacus, Atherin is not beta, so he would ask for it, so. <laughs> All right, so that does it for the episode. Kind of a slow one. One of my least favorites, like, this whole little chunk. It's got some stuff going on, but the Captain Sutherland is a little too mustache twirly for my tastes. Clearly, it's a sham trial. That's what it's supposed to be, but it just comes off as a little too much to me. I wish we'd gotten a little more from Natarl. It's a great episode for her. I really like her confrontation with Maru, but I wish we'd seen the other coin of that, maybe Natarl defending her a little bit. Yeah, because there are instances where she agreed with uh, Maru's decisions, and Maru's decisions ended up being better options than well, what Nataral herself had And the show proposed. itself has gone out of its way to show that Nataral's decisions would have gotten them killed if Maru In certain do. instances, yeah. yeah. So, like, I mean, it's on both sides, but... We see reaction shots of Nataral uh, feeling guilt, and I think if she didn't ask about Flay at the end, that might work for me, because it looks like she's just, like, two in the command structure. She can't bring herself to... Like, question higher-ups, even if she wants to. Or stand up like Moo was doing. Yeah. But, like, her asking the question at the end also feels weird to me. But overall, I really like Nataral this episode. She needs more spotlight. And we have a really good Nataral moment next episode. But next episode is really one of my favorites. So. I say, this was... There are episodes I like or that are worse than this so far. But this is not one of the better ones. No, it's like one you can easily miss and... It doesn't have much impact on what you're saying. There's some advancement in Kira and Lacus, but it's really just screen time. I mean, same with Muriel and Diarca. The only main question you might end up with is later on in the other episodes is what are Moonatarl and uh, 
Well, I'm pretty sure they Play go over doing. that next episode, though. I mean, so. they might. I, I would be surprised if they had another, like, last time on, or they had a conversation about them leaving. Well, I really feel like the Millie D'Arca moments were the necessary I think those elements. are the most important instances. Yeah. But that's because that was the most exciting thing in a while, right? That confrontation. And it's helping to build D'Arca as a char- as more of a character. Because as Tyler pointed out, he's always basically been Blue Oni to uh, Isaac's Red Oni until he was captured. So now we're starting to uh, back build character onto yeah. him. He started getting a personality long enough to lose his mobile suit. <laughs> and also, it's really cool to see on both sides how they kind of saw the others as unhuman and see it breaking down, especially as that's contrasted by Captain Racist going on this uh, sort Tyrate. of crusade, this witch hunt for, on Maru. About Kira being a court. Yeah, I, I actually really do like that uh, contrast. I'd never actually thought about it, but that's pretty good. You I, let a coordinator on the ship. It does go downhill later on for the bad guys. I don't like the upcoming Who are the bad, bad guys? guys? Oh, there will be some. Okay. That's a lot. Raul the Crusade. I'll well, give you that okay. one. Okay. I mean, to be fair, Rao's, Rao's one of the bad people. I mean, there are some people who are now taking over the command structure of Zaft. Like, those people are kind of assholes. Not all of them, but some of them. Uh, but, like, no one has been unequivocally the bad guy so far. And, and what Zach's alluding to is it kind of... Create some unequivocal bad guys. That's disappointing. Like, I had so many high hopes for the show. I hope they were I actually like going to kill Kira off. I that would have been a like bold move. Yeah, uh, I always like the Shades of Grey characters, which is one of the reasons why I love Code Geass so much. Because your main character is a Shade of Grey. <laughs> That's not a good person. All right, so do you have a high point for this episode, Tyler? Actually, specifically the uh, offhanded, well, maybe not offhanded, but under her breath comment Nataro makes as Maru walks away. Oh, I, the, that's why I consider you so soft? Yeah. It's pretty good. Zach? Millie confronting Diarca in the brig. I really like them, you know, kind of having that moment of, uh, I want to talk to this person about what happened, but I also don't want to talk to him, and I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing here. Yep, that, that's a very real moment. So. I'm going to go with Nurse Glacus Klein because I ship them so hard, guys. <laughs> I kind of figured that. <laughs> also, I can think of another good moment. I almost went with the repeat of the techno babble. Because <laughs> even though I say I really like this stretch of episodes, and I do, this one is like the first episode we've done for this podcast that watching it I found to be kind of a chore. I've never felt that way before. So, Tyler, what about low points? You got one of those? So, I like this scene, but Lay's like general presence in this episode seems a little awkward. I was thinking specifically the scene where she's going on a tirade against Millie, trying to convince herself of her own actions. But, like, that's also not a bad point, but it's maybe a low point. All right, Zach? Captain Racist. <laughs> yeah, that, that one seemed too obvious, which is why I didn't pick it. Oh, I'm going to go with the most obvious, which Cuzzy is the worst. Oh, yeah, I completely <laughs> forgot about, like, oh, man. I didn't think Cuzzy counted anymore. I thought he was just always the low point, so we couldn't use him. He's just, I, he's such a bad friend. I don't I actually understand always, why they hate out with I them. I always forget Cuzzy exists. <laughs> they don't have a choice. He's stationed on the ship. We're, we're in the twilight of Cuzzy. There's not much Cuzzy left. Spoiler. I, see, my, Does he die? Because my, I'd be okay with my that. My theory is that Cuzzy was always, like, he was always a good friend, you know, and all that, but it, no one had ever really seen what would happen under pressure, and this is Cuzzy under pressure. And Cuzzy he's not becomes, much different. <laughs> he, he becomes the worst under pressure because he doesn't, you know, try and stick his neck out or really do anything. He just and he seems wasn't to have no upon that. social awareness, which is weird because early on he's the one who's like, "Yeah, I always suspected Kira was a coordinator," and he's kind of not sure how he feels about that. But he's not like spacist like Flay, and he's not super supportive like Tall. But he's he just is... suspicious. Right? Yeah, he's just like, "Oh, I think that might be the case." But all right. So, did we score any points for a game? This no round? points this, this episode. I still have no idea what the heck game. We're not- we're not gonna have points for at least three more episodes maybe four or five space whales no can't be no space space whales whales. i just man i think about all the things that weren't in this episode toll no toll (laughs) was actually in this episode a fair amount despite being dead what was not in this episode so that's gonna do it for this episode (laughs) join us next week when we watch again one of my favorites seen and unseen even though i think the gathering darkness is a better name for that episode because it's all about building tension towards the next big thing yeah this one seemed really not very we we got that one uh row scene of him like just being in a farmer's market and getting a disc but (laughs) yeah i mean there should be that's kind of almost entirely out of context I don't like. Even... I forget about that scene a lot, even though it's kind of a major foreshadowing of what he's up to. Seen and unseen is also not really a good 
name for this episode. I think it needs a different name because I think you're right. The Gathering Darkness is not a good episode name for the this. The reason I like seen and unseen for this is that it's kind of about like Maru's testimony versus yeah. what really happened. Okay. And I think that's why I always flip them in my head. And how the character... And actually, I guess that makes sense because you have the characters starting to see each other as people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes a bit of sense. It makes a bit of sense. I mean, really, you could pick really anything arbitrarily and justify well, a Anything title can be us. an episode title, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, like, no darkness really gathered here? No. It's more about people, like, if anything, like, Kira seems happier, Diarca and Murielia have stuff more not, worked out. Not quite reconciled, but they are working on that. You know, they're working episode. towards it. This episode actually should have been called Domon Returns, The Burning Finger! Oh, oh man. Domon should come back in this, but doesn't. <laughs> I, can you just imagine Domon uh, just randomly bursting in into the In <laughs> Super Robot Wars J, there's a, um, plot point later in Seed that is resolved by them sending Domon to <laughs> to um, basically do a one-man boarding action of something, <laughs> and he martial arts his way through it. It's, oh. it's a thing at the end of the series. I think you can imagine. Oh, God, that's great. <laughs> oh, man. There's so many of those that I, I wish there were more games like Super Robot Wars, and just so you could have those kind of random crossovers. We have a problem. Well, we have a specialist in that. <laughs> I feel like Domon is just so out of character for other Gundam series that he can but, be used to solve a lot of problems they couldn't otherwise. The problem is they br he brings a double Gundam with him to menace them, but... Uh, yeah, that's a bit of an issue. You know, I, thinking about it, I think Domon also appears to be older than most other Gundam protagonists. He's only 16, but he seems What? Old. Okay. He seems like he's 30. Yes. That actually... Um, I was talking to my buddy Devin a while back... About how you have a lot of these characters, and it depends on their animation. Because yeah. that what that's what really gives you. Because Ange in uh, Cross Ange is sixteen, the same age as some of the other characters in other series. But she looks a lot Devin, older. Yeah, and we both thought she was a lot older at the end of the series, and just kind of forgot that that wasn't the so case. So, like, how old is the Russian guy whose name I forget? Argo? Argo. He might be a little older. He. I, he probably is 30. Because he looks older than Domon, but Domon looks like he's in his 20s at least, so. Yeah, I, I thought Domon was like 25 at least. How old is the person who pilots the windmill Gundam? Uh, I've <laughs> never seen <laughs> him. I know. <laughs> uh, so next time we won't have any windmill Gundams, but we will have like some dramatic irony. So catch us then. Bye. like, you can attempt to file an appeal with the Earth Forces Personnel Office. It won't do any good. <sighs> Goodbye, Captain. I'd like to thank you for everything, Lieutenant Badgerul. You're welcome. I hope we'll meet again soon, someplace other than the battlefield. It's possible once the war's over. That would be nice. Please take care of her. Right. Let's go. Sorry! Flee!